0: And welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Janice Lynn Mather. Janice's book, Uncertain Kin, was a finalist for the 2023 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. On this episode, Janice talks about food, folktales, and why she loves writing short fiction. Janice starts our episode with a reading from Uncertain Kin.
1: So I'm going to read from, uh, from the one of the early stories in the book. So this is Morning Swim. This is the second story. in in Uncertain Kin. And we're joining the main character, Renee. And Renee Renee has a medical procedure that she has an appointment for. And for reasons that she's, I I think maybe not even sure of herself, she's not uh, told her husband or her children about this procedure. And this procedure happens to be scheduled First thing in the morning, when she normally goes for a morning walk down to the beach that's near her neighborhood. So reading from Morning Swim. Six thirty, six forty-seven Monday morning, Renee sat up, unable to lie there awake any longer. It would only take 15 minutes to get to the hospital, another five to park. She didn't need more than 10 minutes to dress and shower. Her body was ready for what it knew. It wanted to walk as it did every morning, wanted to feel calves and thighs, stiff from night's stagnation, slowly warming to motion. Ellis lay on his back, mouth open, snoring like a drill on concrete. In the closet, Renee's hand hovered just in front of the peach blouse and tan pants she had pressed the night before. Something made her draw back, step away. Turn to the bureau and draw out her everyday clothes, shorts, oversized shirt. Sports bra underneath. She dressed, then tiptoed past the room where the girls slept and stepped out. She had unlocked her car, took a moment to lift her left hand to her right, steadying her slight shake, then slid into the driver's seat. 7.05. Renee started the car up and drove to the end of her street. She should turn right at the main road toward town, toward the hospital. Almost without choice, she signaled left instead then swung onto the main road toward the shore. It surprised her how quickly she moved past her usual landmarks. All the same characters were there, but driving her route shifted everything. As the car moved past the pharmacy, she glimpsed its sleek form distorted in the glass. The first potcake yawned, but did not bother to raise its head. The second dog barked, trotting after the car to nip at its wheels, its run ungainly and lopsided. In the rearview mirror, she saw that its teats were distended. Renée shuddered as the dog gave a final yip, then turned and trotted back to its tree. At the seawall, Renée stopped the car, got out, and sat. The beach was empty. The churchyard sat vacant, the house across the road still asleep, curtains drawn tight. Seven twelve. To the south... Boats tied up outside the walls of the oceanfront houses bobbed and nodded in private agreement. Renee removed her sneakers and socks, then dropped her keys into the toe of the left shoe. The sand gave way under her feet, obedient. She lingered at the edge. The tide seemed perfectly balanced, neither coming in nor receding. Renee looked down at her bare feet, the stubby toes, carefully clipped nails the slightly hardened heels, all softened somehow by the damp. Then she stepped in. The sea was cool, as though it had retained some of the night. It woke her, made her feel alive. She should dry off her feet. She should turn back, drive home. Shower quickly, shake Alice awake, whisper to him about the appointment, the surgery. Brave his shock, then his hurt. Dress in a shapeless blouse and skirt, a good pair of panties and matching bra. Let him drive her down to the hospital. Wait. But what would it be like out on one of those boats? Slipping onto the cool plastic seats, leaving the motor off, just untethering, letting it drift. Nowhere to go, to be, just bobbing along. The strange shift and rock of the waves, nothing solid underneath. Renee pulled off the t-shirt and dropped it onto the sand. She stepped deeper into the water, knee deep. It was warm. Renee kept moving. The sea clung to her, heavy and thick. The beach was silent, waist-deep now. Renee contemplated lying back in the water, floating as she had done as a little girl, when her father had taken her and her brothers to the beach before school or in the evenings after he returned from a day on the water. She could not think of an excuse she could give the surgeon for turning up at the hospital with wet hair, her body gritty from salt and sand. Something made Renee look over further out. The circling of a gull, a shift, a school of shadows deeper in. Fish, rocks, water moving. She looked up, then down, before her eyes came to focus on the low boat. It rocked, untied and too close to shore. There was no dock nearby, only a reef that stretched out as far as she could see on the north side of the beach. It was too shallow to sail, too rocky to walk to. The boat was a hollow, barely cresting, slung low, no interruption of a motor. It must have been painted blue. It shifted in and out of sight with the rocking of waves. There was no reason for it to be there. Renee took a deep breath and leaned forward, putting her face into the salt water, lifting her feet off the sea bottom, letting go. It had been years. Her arms and legs struggled for familiarity. Then she found it the salt holding her body as she relaxed, as if it were a familiar lover. She moved through, parting it with her hands, pushing forward and out, legs frog-kicking behind her. Without thought, her limbs selected her old swimming style, moments before her mind registered the irony. Breaststroke. Her heart thumped, but her movements were sure and calm, as though they belonged to some other, more reliable body. The boat was closer, closer each time she surfaced. Renee paused and looked down at her watch. It was not waterproof. Moisture was already seeping in, the digital numbers distorted into a jumble of shapes. She was almost there now, and she could see it was not a functional boat. It was too flat, sat too low in the water. Turquoise paint had chipped off the sides, exposing decayed wood underneath. It would be fully underwater by noon. She glanced down for a moment and was surprised to see that her legs had remembered how to tread water. Below her, the sand seemed far away. Her chest grew tight, heart pounding. The feeling was familiar and right. This tightness from being nervous about things that should cause nervousness. A half-sunken rowboat, swimming in deep water with legs too used to land. Fear of what might lurk in the seagrass beneath.
0: Thank you. All right. My first question for you is, who are you?
1: I'm Janice Lynn Nather. I am the author of Uncertain Kin, and I'm a Bahamian-Canadian writer of fiction.
0: So maybe we can start by talking a little bit about how Uncertain Kin started, because I know this is your first book for adult readers, although I know adults have read your other books, <laughs> but this is specifically for an adult audience. So how did this book start for you?
1: Uh, well. Uncertain Kins is made up of short stories, some of which are interconnected and some of which are not connected to other stories um, in the collection. But uh, it really just started with short stories that uh, stood alone, and over time, it became clear that this that these were these were friends that lived together and. Over a, a little more time, it became clear that, oh, some of the, the same characters, without without intending to, some of the same names and same characters and same themes were popping up in different stories. And the collection unfolded and became the kind of overlapping worlds of, uh, of uncertain kin as it stands now.
0: Yeah. Something I, I love... I, I've talked to a lot of fiction writers um, who write short fiction and it seems like a form that so many writers love possibly even more than writing novels uh, because mm-hmm. it presents different challenges, different um, joys. So when it comes for, to writing short fiction for you, what are those joys and challenges?
1: Oh, <laughs> I I have to admit that, that writing, writing short stories is, possibly (laughs) my favorite my favorite form don't tell the novels I said that um but I think one of the things I love about a short story is just that it's um it's kind of a, a slice of a particular time so in a novel it can be really enjoyable and rewarding to come in and spend a long period of time with a character and understand all of the backstory and watch events unfold over a period of time um, and then have a conclusion. But I I really love the way with a short story, you just just kind of get a slice and you're not necessarily required to provide all that happened before and to suggest all that is to come. You just kind of get a a bit. I find that really satisfying to, uh, satisfying to write because um, sometimes you don't really want or need to explain all of those things. Sometimes it really is just about that tiny interaction, kind of like how we can have a a meaningful interaction with, um, you know, a stranger that you have a, 40 second conversation with and that can be something that stays with you through the day you don't need to know the stranger's name <laughs> in particular necessarily you don't need to know what they do and all of these other these other things it's just a, a something that you share with them I think that short stories can provide that I think I feel that in short stories that I enjoy reading that others have written and I feel that as well in in the short stories that I write I don't actually necessarily know I I don't know um what happens after after the story with Renee I can't tell you what her long-term health journey is um but the story isn't really about that and I I, I just find that so it's just so delicious I love <laughs> I yeah. got a little overexcited about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I've said that to to short fiction writers before too like there's something about the beginnings and endings like obviously this exists for for all writing like beginnings and endings are important in, every, in everything but it seems like particularly like intriguing for me with short fiction because it just feels like you have you just have so much limited real estate to like grab a reader with a short fiction like people aren't gonna like with a novel people will often give you know 20 pages before they make a decision about where whether they'll carry on or not but with Mm -hmm. short fiction you don't have that you don't have 20 pages you have you know a couple paragraphs so those beginnings Mm -hmm. and endings are like they have to be kind of punchy or have something that'll really like make a reader want to carry on Um, do you struggle with beginnings and endings or do you like it seems like you really enjoy that part of it those like snapshot moments
1: oh you know i mean i think i think with with short stories as I would say with with novels beginnings and endings can be those things that get chopped and changed for me quite a quite a bit so I might have a beginning and an ending and feel really warm and fuzzy and emotionally attached and oh so beautiful poetic and then it it, I end up chopping it because it's like well that 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 does just doesn't need to be there that extra extra stuff so I think I wouldn't say it's difficulty, but I think there there is a certain letting go <laughs> that you have to practice in between what you may think is going to be the beginning and ending and when you've actually written the story, stepping back and looking and seeing where do you actually need to come in? And when is it time to when is it time to go? Because you don't want to linger.
0: Yeah, I have a, a mentor who said about writing scenes, she said, and I think it applies really well to short fiction that it's it's like you want to arrive at the party late and leave early. Like you just you don't want to linger too long because it's not you'll start losing people, I think, with a short story.
1: That's right. I I think about a a, a conversation or interview I was having about Uncertain kin and talking about this before. And I remember kind of saying, you know, yeah, sort of like when you go to a social engagement and you don't want to you know you have to know when when to go and then yeah. and then I think I proceeded at, at that same event to stay slightly longer than was necessary <laughs> and feeling awkward and thinking like oh boy <laughs> yeah this 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 demonstrates exactly what I was talking about
0: <laughs> something I mean maybe I love food so maybe that I'm always drawn to these things but I noticed food a lot in Uncertain Kin, even descriptions of things like nutmeg and how I think there was a fabric the color of plum. I just love food descriptions. But I also think it's such a like interesting writing tool because it can be used to describe setting or relationships, or it's just a great sensory detail. But I've also, I remember talking to Danny Ramadan about this when um, Salma the Syrian chef came out, and he talked about how important it is for him to write about food because it's such like it evokes home it's that one connection for him that is like back to Syria and like there's certain foods and we see this in Uncertain Kin there's certain foods that people just can't find in you know Vancouver one of your characters is looking for cassava in the superstore and can't Mm -hmm. find it um you know what does it mean for you to include those food moments and and to like to explore food in your writing even in very subtle ways.
1: Well, I think food is one of those special things that we can we can all we can all relate to and it's one of the things that I notice is often just a, a, an easy access point into cultures. Even people that think that they, you know, perhaps aren't are not very open to um understanding people from different places are often quite happy to eat their food um because it's you know, it's delicious food doesn't care where where you came from uh, and people often don't care where the food where the food came from so it's it just kind of captures us because it's so sensory it's so you know so tasty and i think when you when you know a food um it means something extra special too so for example that that uh that fabric that was the color of plum that can mean different things depending on who the reader is or who the writer is so growing up i i knew the plums similar to the plums that we find here but we had a plum tree that's a a different species of tree altogether it was just called plum um and uh it's called scarlet plum and it has a, a big knobby seed and it has these big sort of knobbly little fruit they're about that about that about about the size of a be about the size around a little bit bigger around than a toonie but lumpy lumpy shaped and you know they were reddish purpley on the outside and they were bright yellow um staining on the inside so if you got some of that juice which was inevitable on your clothes you would have the the mark there was no secret to be had there um but when I think of when I think of a plum I think of the scarlet plum that was in, uh, in the backyard right outside my bedroom window as a child. And that's the, that's the plum that I think of. So thinking of that fabric, the color of plum, it's not just a color, it's a, it's a smell, it's the juice inside. It's not just the color of the plum skin, but it's that is unexpected yellow inside. Um, it's the warmth, it's all of the seasons of that, that tree not just the fruiting season but the tiny little red flowers that are not very noticeable but if you know to look for them it's letting you know something good's coming and then in the summertime it's the full shadowy leaves (laughs) that the sun kind of filters through uh, and it's all of the memories of climbing the tree and of you know mourning the tree when lightning hit it and of playing underneath the tree so all of that can be, you know, all of these memories and all of these associations can be all wrapped up um, in the memory of food. Because food isn't just, you know, the thing that we just buy and eat. It's the growing of it. It's the harvesting of it. It's the enjoying of it. It's the sharing. You know, it's the things that you do around the plant that produces the fruit, even when it isn't in season.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's it's one of, like, food, I think, has the... The power to evoke so many things unlike any other like writing device it's it you know if you describe a certain like aspect of food like you know fresh baked bread or something like immediately it's like it's not just the bread it's like the person making it and the kitchen and maybe it's Mm -hmm. your grandmother's kitchen like there's a whole thing that comes as soon as you're able to kind of mention a food experience
1: Right. Like there's all, there are all these stories tied up in, in the food itself. So it's kind of like stories within the story that's referenced the food.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Another aspect of story I wanted to chat with you about, and I know you talked about this a bit when you did the event with uh, Rachel Hartman last month, but it is around uh, folk tales and so many of us like the earliest stories we often hear are fairy tales or myths or folk tales, things with morals teaching us how to behave. Uh, but how <laughs> have those stories of your younger years inspired your writing? I know we have a folk tale with the centipede, but I do you often kind of explore those st- folk tales and stories you've heard as a young person in your writing?
1: I think they slip in. I think what I what I often think about when I think about folk tales is the act of being read to, which was something that was very important in my my family specifically. but that is, it really is at the heart of, of folk tales. I think, as far as I know, kind of uh, across cultures, that it's part of this, you know, this oral <laughs> storytelling tradition. And it it's often as an adult, the the only stories that you hear <laughs> um can be, unless you're enjoying audiobooks, which I highly recommend. But you know, often the stories that you hear are, you know, if you're reading to, if you're reading to a child or to children. But I personally, I love being read to. It's one of my favorite things. So I you know when I when I think about about folk tales, I think about um, just people telling stories to each other, and not only the folk tales that belong to um, a country or a culture, people but also just the families have their own little micro folk tales and they can be true and they can be you know kind of maybe exaggerated upon but um not necessarily the, quite the same as a folk tale but they they kind of live in the in that realm for me. it was when i was little my mother would talk about um her childhood growing up Her She grew up for the first few years in Jamaica, where her family is from, and then her family moved to England. And there wasn't a big Caribbean um, community there at that time. And England wasn't a place that I had been at all (laughs) at first. And then a place that I had been just that one time in childhood. And so it held that kind of magical realm of of the folktale. And just listening to her speak places that I had never been would come alive and a time that I'd never been in would, would come alive. And all of these things that I, you know, could could kind of imagine what a train would be like, but it felt as, you know, as kind of magical and mythical as, you know, the tale of a dragon or the tail of a centipede that walks around on two legs like a person. But I think it's that that kind of human um that human connection, the the voices, the, the voice of someone, someone loving you enough to tell you a story, I think is is one of the things that I find really special about uh, about folk tales.
0: Yeah. I have to say, I love, I love audiobooks. I listened actually to, I listened to Uncertain Kin on audiobook, and oh. it is fantastic. Um, It's just like something about a really good audiobook. It just like makes the story come alive in such an amazing way. And um, yeah, do you have anything you want to share about the audiobook? I know, you know, the reader, right? Is that correct?
1: I know the reader yeah. very well. Yeah. So Uncertain Kin's audiobook is read by Catherine Archer. Catherine Archer is one of my longest, uh, one of my oldest friends. Not oldest in years, but she's one of my friends from from childhood. We went to primary school and high school together. or elementary and secondary school (laughs) Uh, together. So I've known Catherine since we were probably about eight or so. And it came out very, very... um, Unexpectedly, uh, I just in conversation, I mentioned, like, you know, I'm trying to trying to find an actress to read Uncertain Kid and I was just having a friend conversation and Catherine said, oh, well I can read that for you and I thought she was just being you know I thought she was just being silly as as friends will being you know unhelpful (laughs) in times of great pressure uh and but no it it had turned out that unbeknownst to me she had um you know signed on with an agency and was really all set up to go so we um kind of did the behind-the-scenes things that needed to be done, and Catherine read Uncertain Kin, and, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> it, it it brings me a lot of joy, because I remember Catherine reading stories that I wrote in the back of my uh, school books <laughs> in high school, <laughs> and, you know, her complaining, which she still complains occasionally about some story that I, I must have started and didn't finish, and she is quite upset, because she wanted to know what happened. I have no clue what it was about, but it's just really special to have that, um, have that bond. I think our, our teenage selves would have been giddy with delight if we'd known that there would be a day when I would have written a book and she would have read it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she reads it so beautifully; like it's just she does such a great job.
1: She does. Yeah, yeah. that that's that's uh, definitely one to one to check out. I yeah. I fully endorse <laughs> <laughs> my friend Catherine Archer's reading. Yes, for sure.
0: Well, my last question for you, Janice, is: uh, What's inspiring the work you're doing these days?
1: There, there are always kind of two different streams of things that I'm I'm working on. There's often something that I have um, upcoming, so that's kind of my I should be working on. And then there's often something that would like me to work on it. <laughs> Whether I have other things that I should be meeting deadlines for or not, I feel so guilty saying it. Um, but I, one of the things that I'm I'm working on currently is on um, an upcoming novel, um, Madame D's Luck Dream Emporium, and it is actually a story that delves quite a bit into the realm of kind of myth and folklore. And it's the story of a a mother and a daughter, and the mother is trying to tell the daughter something about their family history, but they don't connect well with words. So the mother attempts to find ways to provide this information to her daughter through dreams. And, so the story is about watching this family history unfold and it's also about watching this um kind of present day connection or misconnection between a mother and a daughter so it's it's a it's a wide story but it's also a this narrower more intimate story the other thing i'm working on now is just kind of the the tail end of wrapping up my my upcoming teen novel so i'm working on um the final stages of my teen novel, which is called Where Was Goodbye? Um, that one comes out in the spring of 2024. And that story is the story of a, it's a story of a teenage girl who has lost her brother. Her brother has died by suicide. And the story is really about her quest for understanding and about trying to grapple with what what do we do when we can't find answers? How do we move forward when we don't understand the past?
0: That was Janice Lynn Mather. Janice's book *Uncertain Kin* was a finalist for the 2023 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.